Good evening and welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Today we continue on with verse 151, which reads as follows. Jiranti ve rajaratha suchitta atosari rampi jarangupeti satancha dhammo na jarangupeti Santo Hawe Sabhi Pavedayanti. Which means, indeed, just as, just as the chariot of a king, beautiful chariot and well decorated. Ages. Even the king's chariot gets old, falls apart. Ato, likewise, sarirampi charangupeti. This body too, even even this body, goes to old age. But the good Dhamma never gets old. Santo The peaceful, the peaceful indeed that that is called peaceful by the wise. That indeed is called peaceful by the wise. This verse was taught in relation to one of these famous stories. It's a story I actually told recently on a meditation retreat in New York. I can't remember some in response to a question. The story goes, this is the story of King, Queen, Queen Malika. Malika was a queen in, in Sawati, I believe the queen of Pisanadi. Pisanadi was a supporter of the Buddha, though he wasn't enlightened, even at the lower levels. He was still an ordinary human being with all of his uh, faults and wrinkles. And his queen was the same, but they were supporters of the Buddha. They did many good things, uh, and, and many good things towards the Buddha and towards his his religion. We owe quite a bit to to these two, if the tradition is anything to go by, because they supported Buddhism in those early stages. 
But the story is, um, Queen Malika was, in general, a really good person, but again, she had her failings. She was just an ordinary world thing. And one day she was in the bathhouse, and the king was up on his, up in his, uh, in, in the palace looking down. And as she was bathing, she, she, she finished bathing, washing her, her torso and her, her face and whatever. And she bent down to, to wash her legs. And a dog came into the, there was a dog, her dog was sitting there. And this dog came up to her and well, we don't have the details of exactly what happened, but it says that uh, it started to sport with her and she let it continue. Asadhamma Santavang Katung Arabi began to do uh, that which was unwholesome, unwholesome intercourse. Yes, Asadhamma. I'm not quite sure what that means. Anyway. Santava is, is to do with sexual intercourse. So started to uh, engage and she let it, she let it continue. And the king saw her. And so when she got back to the palace, the king was ready to banish her. He said, Nasawasali. Wasali is, uh, Wasali is, I think, a very bad word. Nasa means, Nasa is, is as close as you get to a swear word in Bali. Nasa means, it's, it's imperative, it's like go to hell kind of thing. Nasatiya means to per one perishes, to be destroyed. Nasa is like a command, get lost. May you, may you perish, basically. And the queen asked him, what's wrong, what did I do? And he said, I saw you in the, in the bathroom with that dog. How could you be so disgusting? Nasa, go, go away. And the queen says, what are you talking about? She's thinking quick on her feet, she says, I did no such thing. And he says, I saw you. And he says, what do you mean you saw? She says, what do you see, mean you saw? I was up on the, on the balcony and I looked down into the bathhouse and I saw you sporting with this dog. And the queen says, I did no such thing. She said, your majesty, you must know that there's a strange nature of that bathhouse that anyone who goes in there appears to be devil. And he said, what are you talking about? You utter falsehood. You're telling a lie. He says, if you don't believe me, you go in and I'll watch you. And he was, and this is the thing about Basenity. He was, a, the uh, commentary says he was, he was such a simpleton as to believe what she said.
And so he went into the bathhouse and she goes, Your Majesty, why are you why are you sporting with that goat? And he says, I am not. He said, I can see you. Look at you with that goat. And so he believes, somehow he believes that it was all just an optical illusion. Anyway. The point of the story, and why it's actually quite interesting to us, is that she felt quite guilty about this. You know? She was such a good person, but she felt guilty thinking to herself, how can I face, uh, how can I go and face the Buddha when he'll know right away that I was lying and he'll know what I did with the dog and he'll know how how evil and corrupt I am and at heart and I've lied to the king and, and if I go see the Buddha he'll know right away and so she felt very guilty and she tried to avoid um, she tried to avoid the Buddha. From that point on, she she was tormented with guilt for having this one time given into some some dis indiscretion. As a result, when she died, she wasn't thinking about all the good deeds that she'd done. She wasn't thinking about all the wonderful things and all the support. Pasenadi was responsible for this great gift. There was uh, the gift beyond compare where they uh, I think it was where they were fighting over the the the, the townspeople this the people of the city were were competing with the king to give the greatest gift or something I can't remember Pasenadi was responsible and Malika was right there with him doing all these good deeds supporting the Buddha and always going to listen to the Buddha's teaching and trying their best to understand it that she forgot all that. And when she died as a result, she died not long after, she went to hell. She was reborn in hell. As a result, not of the evil deed itself, but of the... <coughs> of the guilt and the torment and the, the negative mind states that she had gotten obsessed in. And Pasenadi was was much aggrieved, uh, overcome with grief. And after performing the funeral rites, he thought to himself, I'll go to the teacher, the Buddha, and ask him where she's been reborn. Thinking to himself, well, at least that will give me some comfort. If I know where she is, then I can think well of her and uh, be happy knowing that she's in a good place. So he goes to the Buddha. And the Buddha thought to himself, hmm, well, if he asks me, he's not the sort of person to be uh, understanding about such a situation. He's most likely to disbelieve me and, and perhaps even lose faith in Buddhism. You know, if she's done such good things, why is she then born in hell? Why is the Buddha saying such things? How could it be possible? Does it mean that Buddhist, that giving all these gifts and supporting Buddhism and listening to Buddha's teaching is of no benefit? And so he, he made a, 
a determination. The Buddha made a determination in his mind such that the king would not ask where his queen had been reborn. And sure enough, the king forgot. This is the power of determination. If you make a determination and your will is strong enough, there's some magic to it. And so he came and he sat down and he listened to the Buddha and the Buddha gave him some teachings. He listened attentively and when he left, just as he as he got out of the monastery, he remembered, oh, I forgot, I was going to ask him about Queen Malika. So he went back to the palace, he thought, well, never mind, I'll go back tomorrow and see him again. And again, he went back to the Buddha. Again, the Buddha makes him forget and he does this for seven days. And at the end of the seventh day, Queen Malika leaves hell and is reborn in heaven. Tusita, in fact, one of the good heaven, one of the really high heaven. And on the eighth morning, the Buddha, before the king can come, the Buddha goes to the palace and goes for alms round standing outside of the king's residence. The king hears that the Buddha is there and he comes down and he takes the Buddha's bowl and he feeds him with royal food and sits him down and he asks him on the eighth day, Reverend Sir, please tell me where, where Queen Malika is reborn. And he says, oh, in the world of Tusita, in the Tusita heaven. And he says, if, if she had not been born in there, how could anyone be born there? She was such a good person. But of course she was born there. And so wherever she sat, wherever she stood, she was always thinking about good deeds. She cared not for else but to make, to give gifts and be, be a good person. And then he started to feel sad and he said, Ever since she went to the, old, the other world, ever since she left this world, my own person has been non-existent. I have been nothing, nothing without her. And this is where the Buddha taught this verse. He said, oh, great king, just like this. He asks him, he sees it, looks at the chariot, and he says, whose chariot is that? And I guess there were three chariots or something. He's in the palace, so he sees his he sees this old chariot and he says, Whose is that? That's oh that's my my grandfather's. And whose is that? Oh that's my father's. And what about this new one here? Oh that's mine. And he said, Like just like those chariots. The old ones get old. You stop using them. They break down. In the same way the body breaks down and is subject to old age, sickness and death. And then he taught the taught this verse, basically saying that we all die. What doesn't die is goodness. What doesn't die is truth. What doesn't die is is the Dhamma. 
So there's two reasons why this story is useful to us. Of course, the, the reason for the verse, or the actual verse itself, relates to death. We've been talking quite a bit about this. Remember, this is the, I believe we're in the Jaravaga, the old age chapter. Yeah. So there's a lot about how, how we get old, which is important. Right? So we don't make these plans thinking that we're going to live forever and have short-sighted ambitions for power and money and pleasure that can't last, that can't satisfy, that only set us up for disappointment and stress when we get old and, and sick and eventually leave it all behind. But the other interesting thing is in regards to the story. This is a useful story to think of guilt. And guilt is something we also have to let go of. What's most curious about this story is not not really the verse at all, it's this idea of guilt, and it's a common problem for meditators, especially in the West, I think. We, we're good at feeling guilty and, and hating ourselves for things that we've done or feeling inadequate. It's not something you see such a problem with in Asia, but and regardless, it's, it's a problem that meditators, all meditators face. Because we, to some extent, think that uh, torturing yourself over bad things is somehow useful. It's a bit of a defense mechanism. We, we, instead of actually trying to better ourselves, we somehow think that if we hate, if we hate what we've done so enough, we'll never want to do it again. Right? That somehow, by hating what you wanted to do, you can drive out the the desire. So Malika did. She thought if she hated herself enough, if she felt guilty and bad about what she'd done enough, the anger would consume the lust, would consume the whatever it was that drove her to do such things. And in fact, it's, it's so foolish. It's like trying to dig out uh, one thorn with another thorn. You get a thorn in your side and then you stick another, jab another thorn in there trying to get it out. You don't get a thorn out with a thorn. You just hurt yourself more. You're liable to get the second one stuck in there. Greed isn't solved by anger. And that's really what guilt is. Feeling bad, feeling upset about what you've done. So it's important to be mindful. I mean, she would have had no problem if she'd learned to be mindful of her guilt and mindful of what she'd done. It isn't something that should have sent her to hell. And as you can see, it was only for seven days, but wasn't even the deed itself, not even the lying, which you know, people lie it's, unless they become compulsive and um, habitual liars, it's not likely to have great consequences, but the guilt. There's a story in one of the, I think in the, in the Jataka maybe, of a monk who, as he was going down down the river on a boat, he, he uh, broke a blade of grass on the shore which is against the rules, and he felt really guilty about it. But he couldn't find anyone to confess it to, so he died not having confessed his offense. Confessing is, is something we do as monks. We tell someone, hey, I broke a rule. Here, I'm letting you know, and I'll try not to do it again. If we don't do that, we've got, a, we've got an offense against us that we, um, we have to eventually confess. And he felt so guilty about it, he went to hell just for that. 
So again, a reminder that it's not the deeds. Doing something is never bad, never evil. It's the intention. So you have the intention to commit the deed, but then you have the intention also to be angry and upset about it and hate yourself because of it. As meditators, it's a good thing for us to remember all of these. The mind is the mind is chief. It is the mind which leads us to heaven. It's the mind which leads us to hell. No question about it. It's actually quite a scary thing. And again, an important reason for us to think about old age, sickness, and death that we don't really know where we're going. We may very well do lots of good good deeds during our life and then when we die be so upset that we wind up in hell for at least a short time. So our, our determination should be not to be born here or born there. It should be to set ourselves on the good. The greatest blessing is not to get good things but to set yourself on the right paths because good comes from good. So, there you go. That's the Dhamma Pada verse for today. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.